It was Mark Twain who once wrote these words. He said, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they can't understand. But for me, the passages in the Bible which trouble me the most are those which I understand quite well. And I would suggest to you this morning that uh, one such passage is James 4.17. Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This morning in our quest to discover and to cultivate some life-changing spiritual habits, we arrive at the, the habit of obedience. Now there's no fuzziness or confusion when it comes to the Bible's teaching on this subject. The word obey in some form or another appears over 231 times in the Bible. So this morning our goal is kind of simple. If in our Christian life we acknowledge that God is in a position of authority over us, then you and I must be obedient to Him in all things. And I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments. You see, God does not desire to be over us in just one or two areas or things and then under us in everything else. He must be over us, Lord of all, in every area of our life. In other words, when it comes to obedience, if He is not Lord of all, then really He's not Lord at all in your life. The healthy fruit of a spiritual life grows only in the gardens, garden of obedience. Henry Blackaby one time wrote, You and I will never be satisfied just to know things about God. Really knowing God comes only through experience as He reveals His will to us and we obey Him. I read this week that one of the challenges that missionaries have when they go into other countries and try to create the, the scriptures in the language, trying to translate the language, one missionary was troubled because he had this inability to effectively communicate the idea of obedience because apparently it was a concept that nobody talked about. The natives seldom practiced it or valued it. But one day his problem was solved. He whistled for his dog and the animal came running across the property there at full speed. And one of the older natives was so impressed by the dog's responsiveness, he said in his native tongue, he said, your dog is all ear." And the missionary had his word to translate obedience. The prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, to obey, which means, now you know what that means. It means to be what? All ear, right? You guys are asleep today. You're not obeying at all. <laughs> Hopefully by the end of the sermon, you will obey. But he said in 1 Samuel 15, to obey or to be all ear is better than just to sacrifice, to offer sacrifices of your time or energy or money. So this morning, my prayer for you is that you're going to be all ear as we listen to what the Bible says on this important spiritual habit. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the journey you're taking us on. And Father, my prayer today for every one of us would be that we would especially heed these words about your desire for us to honor you in obedience. 
Forgive us, Father, for the way we rush ahead of you and the way we go around things and how preoccupied we are in our lives that we fail to realize that you have plans for us that you expect us to honor, understand, and obey. And so, Lord, we come humbly before you literally today because we know we need to really give this area of our Christian life a careful examination, and we pray your Holy Spirit will help us do that today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Over in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, verse 15 says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And then verse 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Now, I hope you see a pattern here as we go through these. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Listen to David's words recorded over in Psalm 119, verse 57. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Verse 60. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Verse 88. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Verse 129, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Verse 134, redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. Verse 145, I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. And verse 167 and 68, I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. I love your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. And I could go on and on and on in all these passages of Scripture. I mean, you would think that in light of all the Bible says about the believer's obedient response, a response to God's Word, response to His will, you would think we would not struggle so much in this area. But if we're honest... From the time that we are young, we struggle. There's a reason the Bible says in Proverbs 22.15 that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. You know, my father memorized that verse. and He, he applied that truth at every opportunity. I gave him many opportunities to do that. But many of us are like the little boy who was acting out in his second grade class and the teacher made him stand in the corner while all the other kids went out for recess. Anybody relate to that? Anybody? Any corner standers here? Uh, a, few, a few of you honest people. Okay, that's good. The rest of you, I'm going to talk about lying next week. But uh, anyway, in the quiet of the classroom, she made him stand in the corner and she heard him say, God, I may be standing here with my nose in this corner, but on the inside, I'm outside playing with my friends. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how the human spirit struggles with obedience? You see, the line between obedience and performance sometimes gets, gets blurred, I think. But it's an important distinction that we need to grasp. I mean, here, I want you to think about these things. Obedience is seeking God with your whole heart. But performance, putting on the show, is having a quiet time because you feel guilty if you don't. 
Obedience is finding ways to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. But performance is kind of quickly scanning a passage so you can kind of check it off your Bible reading plan. Obedience is inviting unbelievers to your home for dinner so you can introduce them to Jesus. But performance is worrying about every single detail of the meal and wanting it to be perfect. Obedience is following God's prompting to start a small group, but performance is reluctance to let anybody else lead the group because they might not do it as well as you would. Obedience is doing your best, but performance is wanting to be the best. Obedience is saying yes to whatever God asks of you, but performance is saying yes to whatever people ask of you. Obedience is following the promptings of God's Spirit. Performance springs uh, uh, as following like a list of man-made rules or reg- uh, regulations. Obedience springs from a proper fear of the Lord, but performance springs from a fear of failure. And over and over and over again, you see the tension between these two positions. Let's define obedience this way. It's the act or instance of submitting to the restraint or command of an authority. It's compliance with the demands and requests of someone or something over us. The general words for obedience in both the Hebrew or Greek refer to hearing with the ear and then responding to a superior voice in your life. And as you look in Scripture, obedience to both God and human authorities is an obligation stressed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's continual blessing on the nation of Israel was contingent on one thing, that those people would obey His voice, that they would keep His covenant. In Exodus 19.5, God told the people, Now if you obey Me fully and keep My covenant, then out of all the nations... You will be my treasured possession. I mean, one evidence that a person is a child of God is continued obedience, listening for the Father's voice. Listen to verse John 2, verses 3 through 6. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. However, in spite of this strong emphasis on obedience in Scripture, Keep in mind that such obedience is never to be the grounds for earning our salvation or being justified before God because that's not the case. We're all sinners. Being good enough is never good enough. And as the Apostle Paul declared in Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace you and I have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by obeying rules and regulations so that no one can boast. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, obedience to God's authority on the part of believers stands pretty tall here. Stands as a supreme test of your faith and your trust in God. Let me illustrate this from the world of sports. 
A high school basketball player, for example, who believes in his coach and believes that coach knows more than he does, maybe he's a former NBA champion perhaps, but he will do whatever that coach says because he believes the coach is going to be right. If the coach says to change his technique in a shooting motion, he's going to do it, even if it feels awkward or difficult or initially makes him even shoot worse maybe. If the coach says to run four miles every day, he'll do it even though it hurts. If the coach says to pass the ball more and shoot less for the sake of the team, then he will humbly accept that particular role. Now, why does he do this? Because the athlete believes the coach knows better than he does what it takes to make a winner. And when you and I, and we really truly believe in a person of authority that we follow, then you're going to follow that person in complete obedience. However, the athlete who does not truly believe in the coach, he's not going to fully follow. I mean, he may believe things about the coach. I mean, as a former NBA champion, he's honest. His name might even be Michael Jordan. I mean, who knows? But believing just information about someone and believing in someone's authority to speak truth into your life and to expect obedience, that's two different things. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ not only believe the facts about his deity and atoning death and his resurrection, we believe more than that. We also believe in his right to order and direct our lives. I don't know that we talk about this very much. True believers obey and follow. And the Bible mentions many, many people. Here's just a handful. By faith, Abel believed God, and he offered a more excellent sacrifice, Hebrews 11.4. Noah put his faith in God's word, and he prepared an ark obediently, Hebrews 11.7. By faith, Abraham left his home at God's direction, had no idea what his destination was. Moses put his faith in God, and he refused the privileges of being called Pharaoh's son, choosing rather to identify with Israel, God's people. And perhaps the greatest example... And I think it is, and not just perhaps, the greatest example of obedience was Jesus himself. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 7, Our Lord made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Listen to this. He humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death. Death on a cross. But what does all that have to do with you and me as we're trying to practice spiritual, and not just practice, but embrace spiritual habits? Well, here's the big idea. Obedience is absolutely essential if you and I expect to have any kind of victory in our Christian life. When God's Word clearly commands, we are to obey. Now, what is sad is that too many Christians think of sin only in the sense of doing things you shouldn't do. Those are called sins of commission. You commit them. But we totally ignore the thou shall nots in the Scripture. But we also commit sins of omission when we neglect those thou shalt commands. James 4.17 says, again, anyone who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it 
sins. So at its root, Christian life is basically, fundamentally, on a gut level, foundational level, is all about our willingness to obey. Not just the words and commandments of God, but the, the authorities. I mean, uh, I was went to up north uh, for a brief trip to pick up something I needed yesterday. And uh, there was an individual that was, uh, how shall we say this? What would you call that? Speeding. Yeah, and then, well, you know what that means. That means that he's not obeying what? The speed limit. And he was just flying. But unfortunately for this man, there was a little police car waiting at the entrance to the, we're kind of, they're coming to Martinsville there a little bit. It was in the, he was right there. And they had a conversation. I didn't watch all of it because I was carefully going the speed limit down the road, <laughs> road myself. I didn't want to be distracted by all this. I was focused on my driving. But, but there was a, quite a, a commotion. And again, he had gone way on ahead of us. And it was so interesting to watch how many people, uh, myself included, would pass by. And we just kind of look at this poor guy like, if you'd only obeyed. If you only obeyed the speed limit, you wouldn't have to meet Ryan Miller on the road <laughs> going out here. You know, that, that would be so, make your job so much easier, wouldn't it, Ryan? Wouldn't it be? <laughs> No, we, we just don't somehow or another get the message that Christianity or living at all is not a matter of just doing whatever we want to do. No, you can't drive as fast as you want to drive. No, you can't just, just go out and, and say anything you want to say and do anything you want to do unless it is a response of obedience to God. I don't know how many of us as Christians absolutely trash our witness. Because, one, we don't live out the talk. that we, we talk it, but we don't live it. We don't walk it. But we're really, really quick to spot the disobedience of others. We can spot sin for miles. But we're not very willing to look in the mirror and say, you know, there before the grace of God and His mercy, go, go I. You know, have that talk with ourselves. So that's the humbling truth of this message. And and uh, for your habit homework this week. Uh, by the way, uh, I actually made copies of your habit homework because I know many of you, uh, you know, many of you sometimes just can't write as fast as, as Nick and I talk, or as I talk, or maybe faster than Nick talks. I don't know, but I made a copy of this for you, and they're on the or on the little table there as you go out of here. And uh, and your habit homework is. And there's just seven of the, the primary ones here. I'm going to read them to you now. But you need to have a scheduled time to read and study your Bible and be obedient in that area. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that. You're also, to, we're, we're told, we're commanded to pray regularly. So that should be part of your habit homework. We are, prayed, we are told to share our witness with others. We are told to witness to non-believers. And by the way, there's scriptural texts for all of these. We are told to love other believers. We're told to put on God's armor, the whole armor of God, so we not would give in to the commands and the sneakiness of the devil. We're to attend church faithfully. We're to rejoice in the Lord. All of these are commands to the Christian. 
And the New Testament also issues commands about things that we ought not to do. Those are things we, we should do, but there's things we should not do either. Here's just a few. Love not the world, the Bible says. Don't get so enamored and carried away with what's going on outside of the Christian community. We should abstain from fleshly lusts, 1 Peter 2.11. We're to keep away from drunkenness and immoral behavior and strife and envying, according to Romans 13. And we're to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking, and malice. Now, that, that this is just a, a summary. And the scriptures are there with you. And this is how you will practice your habit homework by taking this with you and going over this in your private worship time and put those into practice. So let me close. In his excellent book, The Grace Awakening, Chuck Swindoll tells this story. He said, I vividly remember my last spanking. Anybody remember your last spanking? You know, when I got my last spanking, I didn't cry. Now, my dad's pretty hard. I mean, he really would. He believed that the Board of Education should be applied to the seat of learning. Oh, and he took that religiously. But I finally got to the age and time when I just took it. Ain't never spanked me again. Now, he came up with other creative ways to get his will done. But I remember vividly. But anyway, Chuck Swindoll writes, I remember vividly my last spanking. It was on my 13th birthday, as a matter of fact. Having just broken into the sophisticated ranks of the teenage world, I thought I was something on a stick. My father wasn't nearly as impressed, though, as I was with my great importance and my newfound independence. I was lying on my bed, and he was outside the window on a muggy October afternoon in Houston, Texas. He was weeding the garden. And he hollered up to the window, Charles, come out here and help me weed the garden. And I said something to the effect like, no, it's my birthday, remember? My tone was sassy, he writes, and my deliberate lack of respect was eloquent. I knew better than to disobey my dad, but after all, I was a ripe old age of 13. Well, that day, he says, my father set a new 100-meter record. He was in the house and all over me like white on rice, spanking me all the way out to the garden. And as I recall, I weeded until the moonlight was shining on the pansies. But he said, I also recall that same night, my dad took me out for a surprise birthday dinner. <laughs> he had given me what I had deserved earlier. And then later he gave me what I did not deserve. That birthday dinner was what we call grace. And my encouragement to you as we continue to kind of work our way through these very important areas that should be habitually in our lives, I encourage you to remember that our Heavenly Father never asks you to do anything that He will not give you the strength and the power and ability to do. All we have to do is just learn to say yes, Lord, when He speaks to us the very first time. Say, yes, Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the good, good Father that we sing about. 
And we thank you so much that the model that you've given us, the examples that we see in Scripture, and all the things that Jesus did, all reinforce this very important value in our Christian life. So, Father, as we go home this week, help us to, to not just think about doing homework. Help us, Father, to think about the times that we've not listened to your voice and heeded what you've said to us. And help us to humbly apologize and ask your forgiveness, knowing that, Father, you will grant that to us if our hearts are sincere. We love you, Father. Thank you for all your mercies and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.